Good morning, Temple family, and those who are joining us online. It's a beautiful day again. That's great. Uh, I was asked to finish off our series. First of all, I want to thank the worship team. Wasn't that wonderful today? Yeah, it was great. That was good. Um, I was asked to finish off our series on stories of the kingdom, and I kind of feel like the cleanup batter um, in the lineup, but I'm certainly not the most powerful hitter. Um, we've had some great messages this summer, and I've wrestled with the Lord um, as to what he would want me to close us out with. Matthew 20 says, um, the last shall be first, so rightly or wrongly, um, I figured that I should speak on the very first recorded parable that Jesus told. And the, the time it was told by Jesus um, was a very significant moment um, for the disciples because they had followed him for a significant amount of time at this point. And when you consider the disciples had heard and seen amazing things, uh, they heard him teach the Sermon on the Mount, um, they saw people healed, they saw him bring people back to life, um, all these wonderful things telling the disciples and the people he spoke to, the kingdom of God is among you. But this particular moment stunned the disciples so much that they came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? He had not done that before. So first, I think we need to understand what a parable is. The word comes from the Greek word parabellin, and which literally means to throw something, one thing alongside another thing, like the word we use now, parallel. The parables were not just ear-tickling stories, but they're told to help us understand um, something insightful or with great spiritual depth that Jesus was speaking about by comparing it or putting it alongside something which with the people were very familiar with and something usually very specific. Parables present truths about the kingdom Jesus brought to earth in that day, and indeed, this present day. The first parable is found in Matthew 13, and it's about something that, in fact, was very familiar to the multitudes of people that were gathered around Jesus. It was about farming or producing a fruitful crop, if you prefer. The parable must have been very significant because not only is it found in Matthew, but it also appears in the Gospel of Mark in the fourth chapter and in the Gospel of Luke in the eighth chapter. 
And uh, John's gospel doesn't contain any parables, if you were wondering about that. Now, it's a long passage, but we should be out of here by two. Um, But I think it's very important that we hear it together as there are very many significant parts we need to explore. So I want you to follow along with me as I read uh, the parable. Uh, We'll do it in sections. Um, It's from Matthew chapter 13. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell by side the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. And verse 10 is the theme of our message today. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? This was when the disciples were shocked and wondered if something was wrong. With this large crowd of people listening, He wasn't talking about religious things. If you notice, he didn't mention anything about God. He didn't mention the kingdom of God. He didn't mention sin. He didn't mention repentance. He simply told a story. So the passage goes on, verse 11. And he answered and said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now as you can imagine, this teaching of Jesus has received considerable debate by scholars 
of which I am not. I can simply try and give you something to seriously consider. As Jesus' ministry developed over the years, he noticed, over the time he was with us, he noticed that not all people had received his message. And he sensed that there were those that had great resistance to his message. In fact, the message hardened hearts even more of those who resisted Jesus' message. Hardened them to the point where he ended up being crucified. Paul talks about this difference in 2 Corinthians. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the others, a fragrance from life to life. So the answer to this question the disciples asked is very important for us to understand. Sometimes, like the disciples and those who are following Jesus, we want Jesus and his message on our own terms. Tony Evans once said, we can treat Jesus like a jack-in-the-box. Someone who pops up whenever we want him to appear and do our bidding. Bless me now, Lord, because I'm turning the handle. Come on, pop up. Then we stuff him back down in the box and close the top when we don't need him anymore. God in the box, spirituality. Don't pop up yet, God. I haven't played your tune yet. But Jesus telling the parables of the kingdom of God that has come on earth wants kingdom people saying, not my will, but thy will be done. This passage we just read said the kingdom is a mystery to those who are not willing to hear and see and understand what God is doing. Jesus would not reveal his Father's will to people who are not willing to really hear it and obey it. It's all about the condition of our heart or our soil, as we will read later. Now, the Old Testament passage that Jesus quotes here is from Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah was being called out or commissioned by God. And the people had the same problem then as we have now. We get problems with our hearing and seeing because we don't even see that we are not hearing and seeing and understanding. We need to have a circumcision or a peeling back of the layers of our heart where it says in Isaiah chapter 6, it says that people's hearts have become dull. Other versions will say our hearts have become fat. So God said in Deuteronomy 10, 16, circumcise then your heart and stiffen your neck no more. Sometimes we can be a stiff-necked people. Paul challenges us in Romans 2 as well, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, 
but from God. We say to ourselves, why can't God just zap us and make us saintly and fruitful? Well, you know, God could do that. It's not a matter what God can do, but what he will do. You see, God wants to build his kingdom on earth as a kingdom of love and understanding and of fruitful maturity of our faith, where we live daily under the governance of God. A lot of people think they know a lot about God and are all about God, and when the topic comes up, they turn off their mind. They hear and they see, but they don't really hear and see or understand. And that is why Jesus spoke in parables. So it gave the people the opportunity to actually think about what he was saying without clouding it with religious talk. They were so familiar with religious talk from the priests and the teachers of the law in their day. He used parables so that the hearts of those rejecting would not be hardened further. The idea is that those who are open and sensitive to spiritual truth, more will be given to them through the parables. Yet those who are not open, who do not have, those ones will end up in an even worse condition. Now, it was at this point, Jesus explains to the disciples and those followers around what the parable was saying. We'll continue on from verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now reading the parable, um, you see, there's three main characters portrayed. The sower, the seed, and the soil. And actually, there's another one. The enemy, Satan. Now, most of your Bibles will title this passage the parable of the sower. But I think Jesus actually wanted the hearers to be very focused on the soil. The reason for that is that this fourth character in the parable, the enemy, has no power over the sower, 
which is God himself, or the seed, which is God's living word. It is the soil the enemy wants to disrupt. And that soil, Jesus clearly explains in the parable, is our heart. Now, our, or should I say, my tendency is to skip right to the last verse of the parable where the seed is sown on good and fertile soil. The man hears the word, he understands it, obviously makes the decision to accept and follow Jesus because it says the person bears fruit. That's got to be me, doesn't it? We tend to think that first person of the parable who let the seed just not even touch him or her, as it doesn't even hit the soil of the heart, it hits the road, oh, that isn't me. Or consider the second person, where the seed does touch the heart or their soil, and he gets some instant joy from this, but it doesn't last long as other things in life get in the way, and that momentary touch and himself or herself fall away. Well, that can't be me, because I'm still attending church. I even sing the worship songs. I even eat transfer a few bucks into the offering, you know. And then there's the third person. The seed goes to the soil, the heart hears, and actually starts to bear fruit, the parable says. But the worries and cares of the day and the deceitfulness of riches, not the riches themselves. You can be poor and still be deceived by riches. And the Luke version actually adds, and the pleasures of this life choke out what is in the soil or in our heart, and any further fruitfulness is gone. Well, God, I don't think I'm like this person's. I still have some fruit happening. At least I think so. Um, the Luke passage actually says, and brings no fruit to maturity. Now, we have many farmers in our congregation, and if you were to ask them about sowing seed and harvesting the production of a fruitful crop, they would tell you that once the harvest is done, the work does not stop there. They have to get ready for the next season, and the next season, and the season after that. It never ends. There's plowing to do, there's planting to do, there's fertilizing to do, there's spraying the weeds, and there's also testing the soil to ensure the right nutrients are there to produce a fruitful harvest. Jesus uses this parable to point out that our lives have regular seasons too. Our seasons can be decade to decade, they can be annual, they can be week to week, they can be daily most likely, if not moment to moment. Some people have a long life with many seasons, like my distant aunt who lived till she was 116. She was born in 1800, you can believe it, 
And there was a newspaper article written in 1916 that I have a copy of. She looked as old as the tree that was, she was sitting beside, so I just... <laughs> <clears throat> some, some have less seasons of life, but whatever season God allows for us are seasons where through His grace, our lives can be fruitful with His help. Now, Luke's saying that the third person not bringing fruit to maturity also goes on to say something about the last person, soil. And the seed in the good soil are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So what is bringing fruit to maturity in the life of a Christ follower? Well, Luke says it takes perseverance, endurance. So what would look, that look like in my life and your life? It would be what Jesus was training the disciples to do and what he calls us to do. It is the person who would effortlessly do what Jesus would do if he was in our place. Well, how do we get there? Well, we refer back to our passage where Jesus said, and the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. Now, when we read this, we can think that this only means the Bible, the Word of God. Well, that is certainly part of it. But the word referred to here in the Greek is logos, which means much more than the Bible itself. The Bible is the Word of God in its unique, infallible, written form. But the word used here is not simply the Bible. The Bible is not Jesus Christ, who in John's gospel is identified as the word or the logos, incarnated and made flesh. Jesus Christ is the living word. So Jesus in the time before the parable was preaching that the kingdom of God had come to earth in a way it had never been here before. Where he was, the kingdom of God was with him. Where he was, God was. The kingdom of God is not a thing of a particular time or place. Jesus' whole message is that it is a matter of the soil of our heart, our life, just like Jesus' life lived in vital connection with God himself moment by moment. So through this parable, Jesus is calling us to be regular soil inspectors and not of other people's soils, which is so easy to do, but the soil of our own heart. Now for most of you here, Probably there was a time where you had good soil and the seed or the grace of God was planted and you heard it 
you understood it, you recognized your desperate need for surrender, and you made a decision to put your trust in Jesus. And if you haven't, I'd encourage you to do that. But there have been seasons since that decision for Jesus where I, and maybe even you, had times when the soil of our hearts became crusty and we really were not living a life vitally connected to God. And also, we do have this enemy, Satan, who is warring with us in our hearts and minds during seasons where he distracts us with the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, in other words, putting our minds on material things that become the focal point of our lives, or possibly just the lures of pleasures of this world, whether it be simple things like the internet or TV or the desire and planning of our next adventure that is crowded out actually the greatest adventure we can ever have, and that's being a disciple of Jesus, living in attentiveness to him in order to become like Jesus on the inside and by that transformation, able to do what Jesus would do on the outside. So as mature, persevering disciples, we learn to live the seasons of our lives in attentiveness, in surrender, in adoration, in obedience, and thankfulness to God, and all this, the scripture says, without ceasing. That is the slow, hidden work of transformation where God writes his good way on our minds and the soil of our heart, as the parable says. By his grace, our hearts are divinely changed. Our lives work as God intends them to. We become fruitful. Paul makes this really clear in Romans 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And this challenge from Paul and Jesus' challenge from this parable calls for soil inspection and persevering action. Now, I want to leave you with some ideas for things that you and I can do to help us in our soil inspection and to ensure our hearts are prepared for the rich harvest of fruit that can be ours. The first one is check your soil by honestly looking at the fruit you are not producing and ask the Holy Spirit for help. The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness and self-control. And you can't grow this fruit simply by your own effort. As Psalm 1 says, 
we need to plant ourselves by streams of water, which yields its fruit in due season. That is the living water of Jesus. Now, let me give you an example. Say you're struggling with patience. Maybe it is as you drive your car. Maybe it is when you arrive home from work after a busy day and you know you're gonna be bombarded with questions and kids climbing on you and wanting your attention and responsibilities and dogs barking and jumping up at you, you get the idea. Just take a moment before you walk through the door and just say, Spirit of God, I don't have it in me to be Christ-like right now, but I know you reside in me and you're present with me. Help me to be attentive to how you want me to handle what's gonna happen in the next moments of my life. Help me to be open to your grace in my life. Now, you may not see immediate results, but if you persevere during doing this type of thing in your life, relying on the actual presence of God to direct and to help you, you will see results. Remember, the Holy Spirit has been given to Christ followers as the great comforter. Don't ignore that blessing in your life. It'll help transform you. The second thing, we need to meditate on and memorize the Word of God. Some find the Bible to be just dead words on a page. But the words of Scripture have been God-breathed, we read in 2 Timothy. God uses them to connect with us and communicate what genuine goodness is. We need to absorb the Bible. We need to allow it to read our hearts. It is not just a physical reading or an intellectual study or trying to apply it on our own strength. Sit with the word and say, God, what are you seeking to say to me through this? What is your word to me? Also consider memorizing some scripture. This allows us to carry life-transforming words of God with us at all times and in all places. I suggest you start with the 23rd Psalm and say it before you go to bed or when you get up first thing in the morning. Our elders actually are been working on memorizing Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. Memorizing God's word allows us to access divinely inspired thought and wisdom and it will work in us even when we are not conscious of it doing so. The third thing I recommend, and I have about 75, but I won't take you that long. So um, practicing the presence of God. Develop a continual openness and awareness of Christ's presence living in you. When you practice the presence of God, we are inviting ourselves to see and experience every moment as a gift from God. It is to live a life according to the total union with the Father and Jesus 
and the Holy Spirit. Practically, try to develop a rhythm of life that brings God to your mind throughout the day. When you encounter others, see them through the eyes of God. Take moments of your day to just stop and listen to the promptings of God in your life. You know, we do a lot of talking and a lot of asking of God, but any satisfying relationship really requires two-way communication. Sitting in the presence of God, not saying anything, and letting his love just surround you, abiding in his presence. John 15 talks us to abide. So I just pray that on our journey, as we continue on our journey with God, that we seek God who is seeking us. I want to leave you with a quote from a pastor I have um, communicated with, and it's a great guy, Rich Viotis, from New Life Fellowship Church, New York City. And he says this, the story of scripture can be told in four phrases. I love you. I am with you. Don't be afraid. You can come home. Let's pray. Dear Lord, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh for a while. Jesus among us. Oh, Jesus, word made flesh. You are the cornerstone on which our soul stands. Oh, Lord, in your spirit, humble us. And in your humble strength, help us to be obedient and trusting of our heavenly Father. Today, Lord, and in the days to come, help us to lay aside all our natural powers as you did so that the character of God may begin to be and grow in us. And we thank you so much in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. God bless you.